Welcome back to our weekly science programme on News Talk. If you're just joining us, this is Future Proof. I'm Jonathan McRae. If you'd like to comment on the programme, you can email us, science at newstalk.com, or you can text us for 30 cent 53106. Now, before you begin a scientific study, there, there's so many boxes that have to be ticked first. You need to have done years' worth of background research. You'll probably need funding, and you'll definitely need ethical approval. But the standard for meeting that final requirement wasn't always as stringent as it is now. And the result were some very questionable works of science indeed. And one such study was the Robbers Cave Experiment. Gina Perry is a writer, science historian and author of Behind the Shock Machine and the Lost Boys. She joins me now to tell me more about this bizarre social study. Uh, Welcome to the show, Gina. Maybe start off by just telling me what exactly was the Robbers Cave Experiment. The Robbers Cave experiment was a study conducted in a national park in Oklahoma and the subjects were boys aged 10 to 11. Two groups of boys were pitted against one another during a summer camp and they were encouraged to identify as part of particular groups, the Rattlers and the Eagles. And they were put through a series of competitions. And the notion behind the experiment was that when people compete for a valued prize, and in this case for the boys, it was uh, that each boy on the winning team would win a big hunting knife and a trophy, that when they were pitted against another group, that you could actually foment hatred and it was kind of like a proxy for racism in a way. So Musafa Sharif, who was the social psychologist behind the Robbers Cave experiment, was really aiming to show that you could manufacture hatred between groups, you could create a sense of in-groups and out-groups, and you could mirror the conditions of war and conflict in a summer camp with pre-adolescent children. And <laughs> oh my God! So, so you had a group of um, of ten and eleven year old boys, and they were they were the Eagles, and they went to summer camp. Uh, did they did they know about the other group from the beginning? Were they pitted against them uh, uh, from the very beginning, or did they have time to sort of cement an in group thing with with their own team before the other team was introduced? Yes, they they had time alone together. In fact, each group that the, the uh, Robbers Cave State Park was so big and is still today so big that both groups were there at the same time but were kept separate and had no knowledge that the other group was there. So that did allow them to form a group identity in the first few days. And so that meant that when they were introduced to the idea of a second group and the idea of a tournament of competitions, that that competitive element was already established and the boys felt loyalty to their particular team. How were these two groups pitted against each other in that experiment? Because every weekend you have a a football team goes out to win a prize uh, and play against another team. Um, I'm just wondering how did the behaviour change versus a sports team and and what role did the experimenters have in trying to amp up that conflict between, I mean, very young boys? Well, I mean, it's interesting. You think about a sports game, what's different is that people go home after a match, but these children were in a very isolated part of Oklahoma. 
Uh, their parents and the children themselves thought they were going on a normal summer camp. They got to the camp and this um, the tournament of competitions was things like um, tug of war, baseball, um, other kinds of sporting events where the um, tent pitching. So there were timed events. There were also tests of skill, physical prowess. Um, and these kinds of things were amped up by the staff because Sharif, who was responsible for the experiment, was intent on showing that you could develop uh, hostility between groups of people who had no objective reason to hate one another, but also at the end of the experiment, what he wanted to show was that you could just as efficiently break that hostility down. So it was, again, an experiment that it was a powerful metaphor for Sharif's uh, own beliefs, and it fed very well into the um, era, which was the 1950s, um, and the Cold War, and the whole notion that you could actually solve conflicts between people by engineering the environment that they were in to... Right make sure that they cooperated rather than competed. So just give me a little bit more detail, if you don't mind, on the sort of hostilities that were, were recorded during this experiment. I mean, how do we know the two groups didn't like each other and what sort of things did they do to each other or say to each other that, we, that would give us the impression they, they didn't get on? Well, it's interesting. Um, well, there, it, it ranged from things like calling one another names to not wanting to sit near one another in the mess hall, right through to supposedly um, ripping one another's tents apart and um, scattering um, children's possessions in the mud and um, breaking their precious things. So uh, these were the kinds of examples that Sharif gave of the animosity between the groups and really the research staff walked a bit of a tightrope because what they wanted was to demonstrate that this hostility was real and powerful to the subjects, that is, the children. But they, what the tightrope for them was that if things got too bad, of course, the kids would get homesick and just want to go back to Oklahoma City, which is where they'd come from. So th there was a constant thing of almost putting their foot on the pedal and then taking it off when it came to creating situations where they could create conflict. So, for example, with the attack on one of the group's tent where their belongings were strewn about in the mud and the children whose tent was attacked felt incredibly violated. But when I looked again, when I went in and looked at the research materials and the notes that were taken by the staff, that night raid that occurred in the middle of the night with one group attacking the other group and um, frightening them and ruining their camp was actually led by and orchestrated by the staff. What? So that doesn't appear in the official publications about the experiment but it is clear in the unpublished material so what you have is um, a very scientific depiction of this experiment and it is described in ways that make it sound as if all Sharif and his team did was 
established these two groups at a state park, set up a competition and then step back and watch events unfold. Mm. That's certainly it's presented in the literature. But when you look at the archival material and there are observer notes, that is, there were men hiding around the campsite, covertly observing the children and taking copious notes. When you read those notes, you get a much stronger sense of the intervention of the men in the behaviour of the children. And they're pushing this, this particular experiment to a particular conclusion. And there was a lot riding on it for Musfa Sharif. Um, he'd already run this experiment once before and it had failed in inverted commas. I'm, I'm putting air quotes around that failed. But in the earlier version of the experiment, um, which was held in upstate New York, the children actually banded together and mutinied, if you like. They turned against the experimental team and they accused of actually um, being saboteurs, if you like, of of creating the conflict between so, the children. So you have this experiment in which um, a, a social psychologist takes children who are unknowingly taking part in this experiment, puts them in the wilderness, and then knowingly gets one group to attack another in the middle of the night. It, it you know it sounds like Lord of the Flies sort of stuff and highly unethical, but it's presented as something that that can teach us about groups and uh, in groups and 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 strangers. But it it doesn't really tell us anything because it's been so meddled with uh, in the first place. So manufactured. Yeah. Um, so what about the the participants of that study, Gina? I mean, when when it was finished, when um, when Sharif said, "Sorry, um, just to let you know, you were you were you were taking part in an experiment, and we wanted to see how these two groups interacted with each other, um, and presumably the, the parents were in on it. How did the the boys react when they were told that? Uh, well, uh, in fact, the boys were never told that, and my research one of the things i wanted to do was to find some of those boys who would be now in their early 70s and i spent quite a while trying to track some down and when i eventually met a handful of them i remember the first one i met i was the one who actually broke the news that it was an experiment that was not something i expected um he remembered it as a very strange experience and an unhappy summer camp. Yeah. He'd, never been, he'd never been debriefed. So I found myself in that situation with all of the men that I met. And so instead of it being what originally was research about the experiment itself, I actually changed my research direction to answer the questions that those now adult boys were asking me. That is, how much did my parents know about this? Uh, what did Sharif conclude from my participation? How has it affected me? These were the sorts of questions that these people, you can imagine in your 70s being told that you were part of something that is quite a famous psychological experiment you do begin to question how that might have shaped you and the sorts of decisions you might have made about things in your life. So it was profoundly unsettling for those boys and 
Wow. Uh, it was unsettling for me as a researcher and writer because I, I did not expect that they hadn't been debriefed. There was nothing in the materials that I'd read that suggested any such thing. And in fact, when I looked back and looked at the letters that Sharif wrote the parents, which were used to recruit children, they were very much framed as this being a wonderful opportunity to study leadership skills in children. And it was just after the end of the Second World War. Um, uh, Sharif had begun his research with groups of children, the first groups in 1949, the second in 53, and then Robber's Cave in 54. And one of the boys said to me that his father had fought in World War II and was very patriotic and that anything that he could contribute, including his son being sent to a summer camp, that might improve the health of democracy in America, leadership skills, it really appealed to that sort of degree of patriotism and that moment in America. So I was able to tell the boys that their parents were certainly not aware of the potential danger of mm. the experiment that they were involved in. And when I say potential danger, um, in the experiment in 1953 where the children mutinied, Sharif's plan was that his, his idea was that if you create a problem that is too big for one group to solve on its own, then it, that group will cooperate with the second group. Mm. So the idea he had for upstate New York experiment in 1953 was that he would set a bushfire and that the children would come together as a single group and a cohesive team when they were faced with the common enemy, which was, um, you know, the, the danger of a bushfire. Now, so uh, oh, man. reading about that, I was very relieved to, to hear that the children had mutinied and that experiment was cut short. So, Gina, when, when we um, talk about Robbers Cave nowadays in you know, psychology classes in universities across the world, do, do people have that context or do they take the studies, supposed findings about groups and working together and collaboration as as a fact? Do, do we, does the world at large and particularly the psychologists who are studying these, these um, experiments to try and improve psychology generally, do they know what you know? Well, Yes and no. I think there is a growing awareness that um, these iconic experiments need to be revisited and scholars like myself have revisited a couple of them. But it takes a long time for change to occur because, as I said, we have these featured in textbooks. There was an article in The New Yorker just this week that used the robber's cave as an analogy for the um, Trump's America and the divisiveness between sectors in American society. And this is where these experiments are very powerful metaphors because yeah. they do help us try and understand things that are very difficult to fathom. So they have a power of their own that is almost independent, I think, of 
the critical scholarship that might go on around the problems with the research. The, the, the fact that the, the idea itself and and what it what it might mean the the sort of authentic nub of of human nature that they seem to present is useful for us to try and understand the things that are around us. Absolutely, and and isn't that what what we're all on about? We mm. want to we want to understand human nature. We want to understand what it is that drives us to do particular things, and and that is a, a noble thing. But I think the other thing that's powerful about something like Robbers Cave and some of the other iconic experiments of that period is that they're very newsworthy. You know, yeah. they're, they're, they're kind of counterintuitive in a way. They're, they're shocking. They're, they seem to be very revealing. And so people do refer to them. And, of course, the more they're invoked and the more we come to be aware of them in our day-to-day life, the, the, the more powerful they become. Yeah. So for me, it's, I think what's so interesting is that um, if you look at them, if you look at the original article about, or one of the earliest publications about the Robbers Cave experiment, again, the way it's described, it doesn't remind you that these were children. It refers to subjects. It refers to the activities of the camp in ways that make it sound extremely scientific and objective. But it was anything but um, by the sounds of it. Gina is the author of Behind the Shock Machine and The Lost Boys. Gina Perry, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, Jonathan. I love those stories of weird and highly unethical psychological stories, but crazy that those kids didn't know until now that they were part of a science experiment. That's it for this week's Future Proof. Thanks to production team Aidan McKelvey, Simon Keane, Garrett Mahal, JJ Clark and Jojo Cardozo, who was on sound. We'll be back with more Future Proof in your podcast feed on Tuesday. On the Record is up next with Gav Riley. Have a great Sunday.